0: I want to thank Kyle for leading that song. As he said, it fits in perfectly with what I want to share with you this morning. It's taken from this text, obviously, in Psalm 51. And I want to spend the next few minutes exploring this with you all. I hope you are doing well. We appreciate everybody here and those of you who are joining us online today as we think about this idea of renewal. Have you ever had... A picture taken of you, and you see it on Facebook or Instagram or something, and you like the picture. And normally, what you mean by that is it is the best version of you in the picture. So, if you've got a little extra chin, the camera angle is just right. You know, it's supposed to be up higher, right? You can position your head just right. Kind of misses that extra chin floating around. Or maybe it is. Um, maybe you, you, you don't like the look of your nose, but there's something about that the camera angle that makes your nose not so whatever. You ever seen one of those pictures? You, know, you like those, right? Can't you even do this? You can, don't, you, don't you have filters on Instagram where you can make yourself look like a different kind of person? Like you can take away the blemishes on your face you can make your skin tone a little bit different right and so the picture you put out there on instagram is it's you but it's it's not exactly not exactly you right the best version of ourselves we like that we like it we like it a lot problem with that is sometimes spiritually speaking i think we do that too Because man, it is a whole lot more pleasant to think about the version of myself that I wish that I was rather than the version of myself that is real. You know? What we've got in Psalm 51 is David coming face to face with what he is. And he doesn't like it. I read a commentary on this text this week. And the author pointed out something that I think is right. And, and, and he, he made an observation about the, tr- about the church, about Christians in general. And he said that he doesn't think we're very good at repentance. He doesn't think we're very good at it because we don't do it a lot. We don't, we don't do it in the way the Bible says it ought to be done. A lot of times we do this kind of pseudo version of repentance and it goes something like this, Lord, forgive me if I've sinned in any way today and help me to be a better person. Amen. Or, Lord, forgive me for doing this. Uh, but, but we don't really, we don't really get to the heart of it. We don't really get beneath the surface. We kind of skim around on the surface and we know, yeah, yeah, I've got some imperfections. I've got some things I ought to work on, but but don't really repent. If you have a malignant tumor and you're going to have surgery, what you want is for the surgeon to get every last bit of it, right? But so often with the cancer of sin, we just get the edge of it and it stays there and it grows and it metastasizes, right? It spreads just like a cancer. What David does here in Psalm 51 is, man, he he gets face to face with his own sinfulness. Now here's the background. You may know this already, but but, but maybe you don't. Psalm 51. What's going on here is David. you remember the story of David and Bathsheba? This is told back in 2 Samuel. And, um, and David is, uh, man, he's king. He's doing great. Everything is good. David, a man after God's own heart. This is David who had killed Goliath. This is David who had been anointed when he was a teenager by Samuel. This is David that Jesus would be called the son of David. This is David, the greatest king that Israel ever had. Everything after David, every king after David will be compared to him. David is the king. And he's home one afternoon. He looks down, he sees a, a young lady bathing, and he calls her to his palace. And in spite of some subtle warnings from his servants, he uh, lies with her, and she, a child is conceived. And David, in, in, in ensuing days and weeks, he goes about manipulating the situation, trying to cover it up, and he, he, uh, he doesn't want anybody to know because he knows it's wrong, he knows what he's done. He, even goes so far as to call her husband home from battle, hoping that her husband will go home and be with her, and nobody will know whose child it is. I mean, it's, it's ugly. It's ugly in every way of ugly. Ultimately, he has her husband murdered? Cover up, successful. But then God sends a preacher to him. God sends Nathan to him, and Nathan says, in essence, Nathan says, David, King David, you are so. Guilty. David's David response, and I, and I do believe this is why David is such, is such a great character. It's not because of the adultery, obviously. It's not because of the murder. David did things that were awful. But it is because of the response that David had when he was convicted of his sin. And he said these words. I, You remember them, right? He said, I have... Sinned. Now, in the ensuing days, David wrote Psalm 51. He wrote, this, he wrote this psalm. And he cries out at the first of it, before we get to the part we're going to focus on, he cries out in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to Your steadfast love, according to Your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with his... He goes on, we'll look at that in a minute. But, but, but do you get a sense into the heart of David at this moment? David, like his predecessor, King Saul, could have made all sorts of excuses. What most people in his situation would have done is they would have said, How dare you come into my palace and speak to me like that? Don't you know that I am the king? I am not only the king, but I am your king, Nathan. And you come traipsing in here with this message of conviction. You know what I can have done to you with a snap of my fingers, Nathan? Don't you know what every other Middle Eastern king does? Do you, do you not know that he takes any woman in the kingdom that he wants? Don't you know, Nathan, that in a man of my position and prominence and power, I do what I want to do, and you don't speak to me like that? That's not what David says. The temptation for everybody in this room and everybody listening Is for us to make excuses for why we've done what we've done, to ignore them, to act as if they're not bad, they're not that bad. If you knew all the stuff going on in my life, you'd understand why I did it. Maybe it wasn't right. I know it was wrong. But if you knew the context, if you knew my heart, if you knew all these things I've been dealing with, the stress I've been under, and the pressure I felt, and the way I was raised, and the way my parents treated me when I was a kid, then you would understand that's not what Debbie does. David says, have mercy. No excuses. No shifting of the blame. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me, he says in verse 3. You see, what's happened in the world, and, and it's crept over into the church as well, is that we minimize this. The theme for this year is renewal. We talked last month about renewing the mind. Today, about renewing the Spirit in the face of sin. And I hope God's Spirit will use His Word in this message to convict you and me of our sinfulness. Because if, like I said a few minutes ago, if you find yourself, if I find myself, and we all do this, alright? So. Let's let's admit that we do it. But if we find ourselves in this message and reading Psalm 51 thinking about somebody else, because that is a defense mechanism that we all employ because it makes us feel better. Lord, I pray that that person will hear this message. If you find yourself thinking that, that is the voice of the deceiver in your heart trying to get you not to hear what God wants to say to you in Psalm 51, because none of us are immune to this kind of self-deception. It's what we do. We do it pretty well. And so in this, uh, in this text, David wants a new spirit. That's right in the center of what we're going to be talking about. Look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. I just love the confession here. I mean, you go back and look at the context of this, and look at what, what, uh, what David has said. Purge me with hyssop. By the way, hyssop is it, it's this kind of a plant that they would use some of the leaves from it in these purification rites in the, in the Old Testament, like when they were associated with the sprinkling of blood, the shedding of blood, and it was associated with purification and forgiveness. Now here's something interesting. I didn't know this, and you might not know this either. There were particularly hard cases uh, where a little bit extra was required. Found this fascinating. A couple of those cases are when you touch the dead. I was going to say when you touch the dead corpse. I guess uh, every corpse is dead, right? So when you when you touch it when you touch a corpse, that's, that's a bad thing. You didn't do that. Number two, you got leprosy. Leprosy's leprosy's pretty bad stuff in the Old Testament, you know. Little extras required, a little extra purification when you've touched the corpse and when you are trying to get cleansed of your leprosy, they would bring in the hyssop. You know, it's kind of this idea that when David says, Purge me with hyssop, he knows, he knows this is a bad case. This is a bad case. He's associating his guilt with the bad cases of the Old Testament when they need to bring in the hyssop for the purification. You see this? Purge me with hyssop. I need a little extra because what i've done is grievous. I, you know i just uh, I just think it's fascinating here to get into the heart of david a little bit. this is what repentance looks like. this is what it looks like. and it is so hard. it is so hard because we are pros at self-deception and excuses and shifting the blame and minimizing and rationalizing. And we make excuses. I mean, this is, this is what human beings do. And I, and I hope that if, you, if you're tempted to do this, then you'll see what David is teaching us here. When he says, purge me with hyssop, he is saying, I don't have any excuse for this. Couldn't he have said something like, but, but Lord, I know it was wrong, but man, the pressures of the office. You put me in this position. You gave me this kingdom. Do you know? God, you know how hard it is to be king. The people are obstinate and they're difficult. And all this pressure on my shoulders and these wars that we're fighting. And I don't know how this is going to turn out. And I don't know about the economy. And we've got these, these foreign powers that are around us. That is so much pressure. Can you give me a little bit of a break? Or at least understand why I did what I did. Purge me with the good stuff. Because what I did is bad. The Puritans had a way of viewing sin that's helpful to us, I think. And they looked at it and they said that repentance involves a number of things, a number of responses. And they said, you got to see your sin. You got to confess your sin, you got to mourn your sin, and you got to hate your sin. That was the four-step process for the Puritans when it came to sin. you got to see it first. Maybe that's the foundational most important thing because it is so easy for us not to see it. Oh, I can see it in you, you. know, Aren't you pretty good at seeing other people's sins? Yeah, most of us have a degree in that. I can see it. You can see it. We can see it in other people. I can see it, but the Puritan response based on Scripture is is to see it in us, and that's so hard to do, but that's what David does here in it. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. It's right in front of me. I can't get away from it. I wake up, and I see it. I go to sleep at night, and I see it. I see it, and number two, confess it is what the Puritan said, and that's based on Biblical evidence, right? You not only see your sin, but you confess your sin. Because we can see it, but then we can start these spiritual gymnastics to get around the next step we need to take, this next response of confessing. Because confessing is sometimes hard. We can have it in our mind, but saying it with our lips involves kind of an identification we're not comfortable with. I see it and I confess it, I mourn it. You see mourning all over this text, don't you? My guess is David wrote this, however he wrote it, on a scroll. That scroll had some tear stains on it when David finished Psalm 51 because this is a heart that's broken. He saw it. He confessed it. He mourned it. We'll look at that a little bit more in our text in just a second. But, but he, he, he mourned it because he says, I, I want joy. I want to feel joy. I want, I want to enjoy the joy of your salvation, salvation, God. He, he mourned it, and he hated it he hated it. It's so easy for us to hate sin in other people. We hate sin in the abstract we hate sin in the world, we hate sin out there, uh, but man, God help us God help us to hate it in ourselves. See we've got to get to this place where sin doesn't bring us joy where we don't we can see past these temporary Pleasures that we get from sin, and we can hate it for what it is. We can hate it for what it did to Jesus. We can hate it for what it does in the world. We can hate it for the distance that's created between us and God. We can we can hate it. We see it. We confess it. We mourn it, and we hate it. That's what we see coming out of the Psalm. You know, purge me with hyssop. David wants to be and does experience this cleansing. But then it goes on, and, and kind of bouncing off of what I just said a second ago, let me hear joy and gladness, let the bones that you've broken rejoice. See, in this renewal, it brings about happiness. David recognizes that. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey this morning, but I think it would be naive for me to believe that there aren't people here, either here physically or here online, who aren't living lives that are in opposition to the will of God consistently and persistently in your life. And if that describes you, first of all, we're, we're, we're thankful that you're here. But secondly, we pray, I pray, that you will understand that living a life outside of the will of God does not ultimately bring about contentment and lasting joy. It may in the moment, but the seed that you're sowing will one day produce the fruit of destruction and sadness and grief. David recognizes that. And I wonder for the rest of his life, and David dealt with the consequences of this until the day he died, for the rest of his life, David looked back on that spring afternoon. And I wonder, even though he knew he was forgiven, i got to think, knowing a little bit about the heart of David that we see here, I wonder if David, for the rest of his life, he would periodically have those moments where he looked back at that spring afternoon and he once again kind of kind of rehearsed what went through his mind. And, he, and if he thought, what in the world was I thinking? How could I have done that? It was so short-sighted. And I wonder if he thought at times, man, I wish I could go back and I could see on the other side of the adultery. I wish I could have seen into the future and I could have known this is what it's going to bring about in my life. And David says here, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. I want once again to experience the joy that, that we have when we live in communion with, with God. See, the thing is, the the... Thing that sin promises us is it promises us fulfillment. You know, it promises us gratification, pleasure, and joy, whatever. And it promises so much more than it can deliver. You see, real joy, and David recognizes this now, but real joy is knowing that the creator of the universe is smiling down on you. You know? And David wants to feel that. It is knowing can I can I can I I don't know who needs to hear this, but maybe you need to hear it. Maybe more than, more than just a few of us need to hear this. Did you know that the one who created this world will look at you and smile and be pleased? And that maybe, maybe, you got, maybe you're surrounded by people who criticize you. Maybe you're surrounded by people who are always picking out what you're doing wrong. Don't you know that God, the creator of all, the one who said, let there be light, He will look down at you and He will say, I am pleased with you. You know, I think from, from, a, from a young age, most of us, we grow up with this need for approval. And you see it in little kids, and they're like, Daddy, watch me throw this ball. Mama, watch me jump. Watch me jump. And, man, it just, oh, and, and as a mom or a dad, you're like, oh, man, you can throw the ball so well. Oh, look at that jump. I've never seen any two-year-old jump as high as you, you know. That is just amazing, and it just warms their heart, right? And I think you and I are like that. So often we're, we're trying to get approval from that which doesn't really matter. We might get the acclaims of the world, and it feels good for a second, you know. And we might get the approval of somebody over here, and it feels good for a moment. But what we're really searching for is, God, watch me jump. Look at me run. And God says to us, oh, wow, you are so amazing. Isn't that that really cool, the way that we can know that the creator of the universe looks down at us and he says, You're so, man, you're awesome. You're so, you're so, so perfect. Let me hear joy and gladness. Living with a renewed spirit makes us happy. Here's the third thing in the middle of our text. Hide your faces from me and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me. And here's the song that we sang. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Notice the verbs that David uses here. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Again, this reflects The fact that David recognized he had made a mess of it all. He didn't just need his spirit reformed. This is important here. Created me a clean heart, oh God. He knew that he didn't just need a little bit of a modification of the heart. Like, you know, my heart is its not great, but if you could just kind of tweak it here and there. Maybe just rub off some of the rough edges over here. Kind of smooth that out a little bit and get that little dark spot there. Kind of, kind of get that okay. Can you just can you just modify it? David says. And what I need is, uh, I need you to start over. Create, create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Start over. Do you need a do you need a clean heart today? Do you need a you need a fresh start. See, this is this is a very, very biblical thing for us to be thinking about because the Bible, at its essence, is a story about God taking this old, broken, messed up, distorted heart and giving us a new one that is sanctified and redeemed by the Spirit of God, one that is characterized by soul devotion to the one who created us. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We seek and we get renewal when we seek it in Christ. Here's the fourth thing in our text. Take not your Holy Spirit from me and dwell. And I think probably this is a reference for David back to 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel, when David was anointed to be king. And part of that anointing was the Spirit of God came upon David. Part of the anointing of a king was you were indwelled by the Spirit of God. And David recognizes what I have done. I don't deserve to be king I don't deserve to have the Spirit of God within me. I don't deserve the approval of God. But nonetheless, Lord, can you find a way to allow your Spirit to continue dwelling in me in spite of what I've done? A prayer that maybe you need to pray, that I need to pray today, is, Lord, I have messed up. I have sinned. But please... Please, do not remove your presence from me. I do not want to live life outside of your protection and your guidance. And then he says at the end of our paragraph here, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. That word willing, by the way, uh, some, some versions put with your spirit I don't think he's talking about the Spirit of God here. He's just talked about it. I don't think he's talking about the Spirit of God now. But he's, he's saying, restore me or uphold me with a willing spirit. Give me a dependable and consistent spirit. That word willing is a word that means steadfast or consistent. And so he says at the end of this expression of confession and praise, he says, Lord, give me consistency. I don't, I don't want this, David says. I don't want this just to be... The, the man speaking out of brokenness with no lasting consequences. I don't want this to be just a moment where, hey, I got caught doing what I shouldn't do. I got my, I, I, you know, caught with a hand in the proverbial cookie jar, you know. And we probably, maybe you've done this before, we've sinned, we get caught, we're really, really sorry. And then six months later, not so sorry. David says, give me a willing spirit. Give me a consistent Submissive, steadfast spirit. I want just—I want to be broken, but I want—I want to maintain this kind of commitment to renewal and forgiveness. I don't know. Again, you know, we've got people all over the path, spiritual paths, spiritual journey. You know, I don't know where you are this morning, but I—but I hope maybe every one of us. I think every one of us ought to have a response to what David says in Psalm 51 because we look at our hearts and lives and God can open our eyes and will open our eyes and help us to see those things. And I think that maybe there's a tendency, I know there is, for us to think about, well, I've never done what David did, never killed anybody, never done this or that. We look at other people and we think, man, that that, that person there... Oh, Lord, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Lord, you know, I don't do that. There's there's a tendency to respond that way. but What this text ought to teach us is that there's that same Spirit in us all, the same Spirit that says, I'm going to do what I want to do, Lord, when following You is hard. I'm going to take my own easy path. That's what I'm going to do. And that's what we've done. God, help us, the church, to have broken hearts. Broken hearts over what sin has done in us. You know, in us. If you're not a Christian this morning, I pray God, we pray God will break your heart. That He will help you to see what sin is doing in your life. That He will help you to see the devastating consequences of living a life outside of the sphere of the blessings of God and, and God's purposes for which He created you. And if you've experienced that moment and you want to come to the one who created you and you want to experience the forgiveness that David asked for and the, and, and the, the forgiveness that David received, then we invite you to come today and submit to Him in baptism as you repent and confess. And God will create in you a clean heart. And He will give you a renewed spirit. And He'll do that to anybody who's here today. Let's stand and sing. If you need to come, I hope you'll respond.